Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting experts straight talk in your ear. These podcasts deliver great interviews with industry leaders and Zweig Group's three decades of invaluable research, leadership, management, marketing, client, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts let you develop personally and professionally, wherever you are. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and today I am joined by none other than your engineering career coach, Anthony Fasano. Anthony, it's so great to have you on the show today. I really appreciate you joining us. How are you doing? Great, Randy. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Good, good, good. Well, listen, I, I certainly, you know, we talked back and forth a little bit before before the recording, and I wanted to get some basic information and, and learn a little bit more about you. I mean, there's so much information about you online. Um, if people want to find out about you through YouTube, and we'll talk more about that later, but um, I've got a, a great bio here of you, and I want to share that with my listening audience uh, before we actually jump into this. So just for you folks that don't know who Anthony is, Anthony is a globally recognized entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, engineering career coach, and author of the popular uh, ASCE, Careers and Leadership blog. He is also the author of a best-selling book for engineers entitled Engineer Your Own Success, Seven Key Elements to Creating an Extraordinary Engineering Career. Anthony is the founder of the Engineering Management Institute and the Engineering Career Coach, which have helped thousands of engineers develop their management and leadership skills. Uh, Anthony is also the host of the popular iTunes podcast, the Engineering Career Coach podcast, which actually I was on one time, which uh, I was really appreciative of him having me on there. Uh, it's a civil engineering podcast and most recently, uh, Engineering Career TV. Anthony has also co-authored, which I'm, I'm sure is probably his most um, prized accomplishment, a series of children's books with his nine-year-old daughter titled Purpy, Purple, Purpy the Purple Dragon. They have delivered hundreds of the books to pediatric cancer centers around the world. I think that's amazing. Uh, Anthony earned his Bachelor's of Science and Master's of Science degree in civil engineering from Lafayette College and Columbia University, respectively, and his executive coaching certificate from the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. 
Wow, that, that is a mouthful right there, my friend. It is so good to have you on the show. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. And it's, it's been too long since we last connected in Seattle uh, in 2017. But, but thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to be here. I had a great time in Seattle with you guys. And, you know, I just want to keep helping engineers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in that vein, I think it was, you know, you and I talked and and one of the things that I want to do on this episode is to uh, really speak to those engineers and architects for that matter, because we're not, you know, we don't, you know, we, I think your advice uh, works well throughout the design industry, uh, especially for those young engineers and architects and kind of where they go and how they develop themselves. And, you know, a lot of times, and you would probably agree with me, most people, most engineers and architects, and, and, and just about any, pick any profession, there's not a lot of preparation done in school for how an individual should manage themselves in the workplace. Uh, would you agree with that? No, absolutely right. Yeah. There's really not much at all. Yeah. So I think you've, 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 you've gone to great lengths. You and your, your, your team have gone to great lengths to develop um, some trainings and some uh, it, quite a bit of information to help that young engineer to you know get started and you know what it means to get your first job and and what you can expect and so talk a little bit about um, just just what the landscape currently looks like right now and this is 2018 when this particular episode is being recorded but talk about the changing landscape which. I can imagine. I mean, you're not an old guy, but you've you've been around the block at least once and things have changed even since when you graduated from college. But talk about the changing landscape for 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 these young engineers and what they can expect coming into the work workplace right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is something that's important, whether you're um, an AE professional of any type, engineer, architect, surveyor, geologist, scientist, or you're an executive with a firm, you know, focused on growing your firm. The biggest change is that since time has gone by, there's more, uh, there's, you need to have your professionals do more. So like when I was in high school, which is when I started surveying for a small CE company, you were doing a lot of the technical stuff, drafting, you know, designing, et cetera. But then as I started getting older, what I noticed was that you know, budgets were shrinking. Everything was becoming a little bit more stressful, a little bit faster. And they needed you as the engineer, in my case, to do more things. So not just designing anymore. So talking with clients, corresponding. As soon as you were ready, start to build new business. So basically, you had to start doing a little bit of everything. You had to be an engineer. You had to be a manager. You had to be a leader all rolled into one. And so that's what I've been focused on helping engineers do because there's really no course for that in school. There's no preparation for that in school. And, you know, because I have a couple of podcasts, I've been able to interview many executives. And when I ask them what they're looking for in professionals, they're looking for well-rounded professionals that can do everything. Exactly. And that's the key. Yeah. It's that, that idea, you know, especially 
you know, from my vantage point, being in this industry and having, uh, you know, a couple of decades of experience recruiting, um, uh, you know, from an executive search standpoint, everybody wants that proverbial seller doer, right? So not only can they go out and sell the work, which means that they have what? They've got um, some leadership skills. They have the ability to go out and communicate effectively, to speak and talk to a client and understand what their needs and objectives are and help them come to a conclusion about how their organization can provide those needs and objectives. Then they need to be able to go and do the work. Right. right. And so that, that's that, that's that whole seller doer mindset that, 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 uh, and, um, the, the, the issue that we find with a lot of engineers is that they don't always have that capability. Some engineers are really good on the business development, communication, marketing side of things. Most engineers are, are pretty good on the design side of things. They need to be good on in one area or the other, right? And, and otherwise, they're going to have a hard time developing in the design space. But I think it's, it's, it's important to understand that, uh, at least in my mind, I can teach a good design engineer or design architect, for that matter, the the the, the skills necessary to be a good communicator, um, to learn how to develop business, um, to learn how to get out in front of a client and 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 effectively communicate to them in the written word, in the spoken word. I mean, all of that plays into uh, creating success for whatever organization you are a part of. And I think engineers, if they even take a little bit of time to develop those some of the soft skills that are needed on that side of the table, um, as well as just in general, um, they will make themselves much more valuable to their employer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think what you said there is really important in that if you don't take the time to develop the communication skills and the writing skills and some of these conversational skills. You could be the best technical engineer in the world, but if you can't communicate that to other people, it's really pointless. I mean, if you can't get up and present your project in front of a board, if you can't go to a prospective client and tell them what kind of value you can bring to the table with your design work, then it really diminishes the value of your technical expertise because there's no way for you to communicate that. Right. Right, right, yeah, and and I think that that is that there is the therein lies the disconnect for a lot of engineers. I think they don't make that that connection, and and what I find is that you know as 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 great as it is, and even as wide of a of an audience base that you have, you still need to reach more people because people need to hear your message. People need to hear you know what you've been through and how you've gone through the trenches and the experiences that you've uh, you have garnered over the years that will that have allowed you um, to educate uh, young engineers and architects about what they can expect and how they can grow. Um, a lot of times, these guys just have no idea that that um, this is even possible. And uh, I just think it's it's one of the deficiencies that we see in engineering programs throughout the country is that they don't adequately prepare their people like that. But I mean, certainly that's job security for you. Uh, it creates more opportunities for you and, and for other organizations that can that can educate engineers. And, and that's one of the reasons why we actually had you come and participate with us at uh, hot firm last year in 2017 yep. is because we created a whole new millennial mindset focus of of hot firm where we invited younger engineers younger architects to come and learn uh, about how they can develop themselves to ultimately 
eventually put themselves in the driver's seat uh, from a former ownership perspective um, to be in the conversation when it comes time to ownership transition. When a, an older uh, firm owner has decided that they want to make move on, um, they, that, that there are individuals that are appropriate um, to have that conversation with when it comes to uh, new opportunities for ownership in the future. Yeah, no doubt. And I think this creates a huge opportunity for engineering or for AE firms because if you recognize the power of developing these management and leadership skills in your staff and you take action on it, you can actually really – I mean it's a, it's a high leverage task for these firms. It could have a big ROI because if you can have start to have well more well-rounded professionals, it could definitely improve your client relations, help you get more business and trickle down through the organization. And that's why, you know, I do a lot of corporate training. And I think what I try to communicate to these organizations is that, you know, kind of the low hanging fruit of improving your bottom line is to take your existing staff team and make them better. Yeah. You know, invest in them and make them better because they already know all your systems and they already know your clients and they're already working on your projects. Um, and it could be really helpful for you. And I think the challenge is, and I, I just did a big corporate training two days for a big firm in Philly last week. And I started off the training by giving them a quote because I know the mindset of people coming into training is, you know, oh, I got to sit through training, but I got a lot of projects going on, you know? Right. So the quote I told them was, or the phrase I gave them was, if you're too busy to stop and fill up the car with gas, eventually you're going to run out. And I think a lot of firms and a lot of AE professionals need to understand that I realize that you want to be working on your projects and you want your people to be billable. But if you take some time and invest in them, they're going to be actually much more productive than they were before they actually you know, made improvements. And so I think that that's something that I try to impart upon firms, upon executives, upon the engineer and the architects themselves is that, you know, you have to dedicate some time for improving these skills, no matter how busy you are, because you just won't be able to broaden your horizons. You just won't be able to improve overall if you don't take the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we. It's it's one of the number one challenges that firms face, and it's one of the reasons actually why um, uh, Anthony, why firms are losing out on really good talent, because you know what we're seeing is that firms are not able to keep really smart and growing individuals within their organization because they don't offer professional and personal development to continue that growth. And if you get a young engineer or young architect on your team that's constantly looking to learn and, and is on the cutting edge of, of where technology is in the industry and, and, and the way that projects are being managed and you as an organization can't provide that, um, you create an opportunity for them to leave your firm and go someplace else. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And I talked to a lot of <clears throat> a lot of firms about that. You have to somehow create like learning opportunities, whether it's programs within your firm. And I help, you know, I've helped some firms build some of these programs. But the thing that's important is that you have them available, because you know engineers and architects and design professionals they want to know what the company has in store for them to be able to be successful. Right. You know, because it's a competitive arena out there. Yep. And if they know that their companies has programs that are going to allow them to succeed and build some of the skills that you and I are talking about, then they're going to be much more committed to the firm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and that, I mean, it goes without saying. So you're hearing a lot of the same things that I'm hearing. Um, I, I would be curious just to kind of go one step further and to know, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges within that framework that engineers face? I mean, what what are their biggest fears when it comes to gaining additional um, uh, skills in, in the area of, um, say, communications and, um, you know, well, specifically communications? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there's a couple of challenges. I think one of the challenges is the trade-off of your time. So, you know, they have, they have, they have projects and they have stress and pressures to be billable. And anytime that they're not, you know, they're, they're going to have some kind of consequence for that, which again, comes back to the firm reaffirming that they want them to spend some time on development. So that's one big one. And I think the other big one is confidence. I mean, it's not easy to get up in front of a room and speak. You know, it's not that easy to focus on some conversational strategies that are going to make you better. And I think sometimes engineers, because we have mostly technical training and backgrounds, being able to do some of those communication-related skill sets or implement or develop them is not an easy thing to do from a confidence standpoint. So you need to think about ways to get creative and force yourself to you know, push yourself a little bit beyond your horizons and your comfort zone in terms of those things. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And that was one of the things that we, that I've, I've been talking about a lot lately, which is like public speaking. Um, it's, 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 I think it's one of the top three fears that anybody has engineer. It doesn't matter whether you're an engineer or not. Most people struggle with public speaking. Most people struggle with getting up in front of an audience and sharing something. But I got to tell you, um, especially in the design industry, if that's if that's the one thing that you can overcome in terms of your ability to communicate, you will be head and shoulders above the rest. Because you and I both know the average engineer and average architect would rather just put their head down and get to work on Revit or some other uh, yeah. pro- uh, program and just do some design work. And they would rather not be subjected to that scrutiny of having to share or exchange ideas in some type of public forum, whether it's just one-on-one with another client, with a client, or whether it's in a larger setting um, with um, um, other peer organizations and their peers. And so that's, that's, that's the big challenge. And if engineers can even overcome that, uh, especially even on the public speaking side, not asking, not saying that they've got to go out and, 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 um, and speak to an audience of a thousand, but just, you know, being able to effectively, create a simple message to deliver to 10 to 15 people will make all the difference in the world for that individual. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that again, not doing it is, is a short term, it's only a short term solution. So, you know, staying buried in your projects is going to help you be productive in the moment, but for a long term career trajectory, it's not going to really help you to be able to grow because you're going to need the skills we're talking about. You're going to have to go to planning board meetings and get approvals. You're going to have to make client presentations. You're going to have to speak in front of a board or your board and your company or other leaders. So those are things you're going to have to do to be successful and you can avoid them temporarily, but you're not going to be able to avoid them long-term if that's where you want to be as an owner in your firm. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, and I just, you know, I, I'm interested to, to hear it, you know, you come in contact with a lot of young engineers, uh, and even some architects. I'm, I'm just curious to see what it, you check these guys temperature all the time. What are you hearing from the average engineer right now about, you know, about 
their their fears or concerns about the the workplace and you know their inability to do something or their ability to do something what what are you hearing what is the constant refrain that you hear over and over again when you're talking to these young engineers well again i think the biggest fear that i hear is that they don't have a long enough leash to do some of the training and some of the developmental stuff because there's pressures of projects and clients and deadlines and billability um and that's a concern for engineers. I mean, I think in this day and age, a lot of a lot more engineering professionals are savvy to the idea that they need these skills. Right. So I think we've made some progress in that regard. I think people are starting to understand more that the management skills, the core skills, the communication skills are really super critical. They just still don't feel comfortable enough taking the time to develop them, or maybe they don't really know how to develop them. Mm-hmm. You know, those I think those are the couple things that they fear. Um but what I have seen in companies that have been successful is making sure that they have avenues to do that, whether it is an in-house training or whether they make sure that they let each each employee know that you have X amount of budget for some training or some programs that you can take. And I also see that when the supervisors are, are good mentors for their team and they're mentoring them and they're giving them some tips on these different things, I've also seen them to be very successful. In fact, I just recently interviewed a young manager on the civil engineering podcast. I think he was about 40 years old division manager. And, you know, it was obvious to me that he had taken time to develop those skills. And he had, he talked a lot about, you know, getting out of the office once a week with his mentor, with his supervisor and Mm -hmm. just walking around and talking about stuff and thinking about ways to develop. So, I mean, you know, whether you realize it or not, I mean, the, the leadership of the firms have quite a bit to do with the development of these professionals. Right. Right. And I don't think th- I think that that gets forgotten. I don't think that they realize the power that they have in the, you know, and and how much they can change the trajectory of the firm overall by investing in these people. Yeah. Would you so so based on that statement, would you surmise that that the average firm leader doesn't really take enough time to consider that in, in your estimation based on what you see? I know what the answer is for me. I'm just curious in terms of the firms that you're running into contact with on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, luckily, the firms that I typically end up working with are firms that you know pretty much realize that. That's why they're contacting me. But the ones that I tried to do work with that – aren't necessarily interested is mainly because the leadership is not focused on what I like to call high leverage uh, strategies. Meaning, you know, if you, if you, like I said, if you invest in your staff and they all start working better and they become better managers, that's a major ripple effect among the organization. Yeah. And that's a very high leverage strategy and investment you can make. Whereas I think a lot of the executives in the firms that, you know, don't decide to pull the trigger on training is because, they're really locked into what's on their desk today. Yeah. They got yeah. a lot of fires to put out. They got maybe they're working on a merger or something and they're so focused on it, but they're forgetting about the overall trajectory of the firm and what it's going to take to push you, you know, from whether it's six to seven figures or seven to eight figures or eight to nine figures, it's all going to come down to the people. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that that is a big challenge for, again, they're under a lot of stress too. And so they have to deal with what's coming at them. So it can be easy to forget about the developmental aspect of the staff. I just think it's really a big avenue for success if you invest in that. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. You're absolutely right about that. Um, a lot of people are very short-sighted when it comes to that and kind of developing people for the long term because all they're thinking about is exactly what's happening right now. And so, yeah, I, I think, I mean, everything that you're saying resonates with what I'm hearing from clients. And again, like you, we run, we run across a lot of firms that are having these challenges and some firms that just essentially, if you think of it as an image, and those of you that are listening to this, just imagine an ostrich sticking its head in the sand, thinking that these kind of problems will go away or that, you know, yeah. we'll just we'll just outspend our way or we'll out earn our way through this problem. But if you don't deal with the issues that you're going to encounter by um, not properly developing your talent, you're going to lose them to the competition. So you may you might win. On, in the short term, in the near term with a project or two, but in the long term, the company that is competing against you, that's fully developing their people, that have mentoring programs in place, that um, have a lot of opportunity uh, for, for professional and personal development will, will go much further in attracting great talent to come and work with them and to stay with them. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and you guys know this from the Hot Firm Conference, a lot of these companies that win awards they have programs for their staff. They have developmental programs for their staff because it's not a mistake that they're the ones winning the awards because they're taking the time to engage with their staff, give them opportunities for development. And the one thing too that I'll tell you that's really interesting because I've coached a lot of engineers in one-on-one -on -one right. situations as well because a lot of firms will bring me in to like, work with a manager that maybe isn't hitting the, the potential or whatnot. And what I find that's really interesting is oftentimes these professionals – are less interested in their salary and more interested in the developmental opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's so true. like the, the, the solution is not to give someone a raise. The solution may be to say, Hey, listen, we're investing in some coaching or training or this course or this program for you because we want you to have the opportunity to develop these skill sets. Yeah. And you know, you'd be surprised. I think a lot of firms think that they just can give someone more money and it's going to keep them happy, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You could, you could probably take half of the amount of money you're going to give them on a raise and invest it in training and they'll be happier. Yeah. And send them off. I mean, we, we even say too, if you have opportunities to send them somewhere to another location where they can kind of hyper focus on that, um, that, that it will, it will pay off in spades as well. Um, you know, we've had, we've talked to people because we do a lot of training events around the country. And I always joke with people that, you know, aren't you, aren't you disappointed that you're out of the office for two days? to come to this training and they all laugh and they all say, no, actually we, 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 we needed this break and this right. is great for us to kind of, you know, recharge and recalibrate and learn some new things. So, uh, I mean, just something as simple as that, you know, it might, might cost your firm a thousand, might cost them $2,000 to send somebody away for a couple of days. I mean, it, it can pay off. And if you want to go even further, and this is a benefit that we've encouraged other firms to consider, uh, is that whenever you send, uh, people to a training, especially if it's a kind of training where it can extend to the end of the week, like a Thursday, Friday situation, encourage them to take their spouse or significant other to join them for that weekend and say, hey, you know, we'll pick up the hotel for that weekend just as a way to say, listen, we appreciate you. It, it, it sometimes doesn't cost a lot unless you're sending them to London or San Francisco or New York <laughs> City. But I mean, it doesn't cost a lot to do that. It's another way for a firm uh, to reaffirm, you know, how they feel about that individual. And it just speaks volumes 
to the investment that you're willing to make in somebody. And, and that's just an idea that I've had that I've actually told firms to consider doing. Uh, and, and that small investment of an extra hotel room for one or two nights on a weekend where an individual can get there to have some playtime in addition to the work time can really benefit that person. And, and it will create a level of loyalty that, um, you know, you would have to spend a whole lot more with a recruiter to find somebody to replace them. So it's, yeah. it's, it's money well spent. Yeah. And I think that that money that you spend on a training or developing a program internally, the ROI, you know, of course you'll see, you can see ROI in the production that gets increased of your staff. But I think the other side of it is the commitment, like the mental commitment of these people to your firm can greatly increase from you know, just from that investment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, what's, 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 what's coming now down new down the pike for you? Uh, I know you've changed some things around and, and, uh, you're doing a lot of trainings with, uh, the American society of civil engineers and, uh, you've got the podcast, you've got, uh, you've got your book, um, engineer your own success. We'll put a link to that in our show notes. So people, if they want to order that book on Amazon, they can get it. Uh, I'm sure it's pretty much available anywhere that you can type in www.amazon.com and, uh, or they can probably get it off your website as well, which we will link to. But what else, what else do you have in, in the works for, uh, for the near future? I mean, right now I'm just focused on, you know, training, and helping as many engineers and firms as I can to do the stuff that we're talking about here. Um, what I really try to do these days is I try to create very specific training programs that, you know, really help people to transfer the materials back to the job. Okay. I think that's one of the things you really got to think about if you're going to invest in training is you could send them somewhere, you could purchase a course for them, but is there any thing built in to help them transfer those materials back to the job. And so, you know, that's one thing I would recommend if you're looking into training. Um, you know, you got to be aware of that. You got to yeah. be wary of that because you could send someone somewhere, you could pay some money for someone. Um, but unless there's some kind of follow up or, you know, coaching after the fact, it's really hard for them to implement it. Yeah. Um, so I think about that with my programs now, but really what I'm focused on right now is helping engineers become better managers mm -hmm. in any way that I can, whether it's through writing, through the podcast, through my corporate trainings or online courses or whatever the case may be. And I do a lot of speaking because it allows me to, you know, reach more people yeah. with these skill sets, but that's that's pretty much what I started doing years ago, and I'm still plugging so, away at it. So, so I'm just curious. I mean, given that you've been doing this for a while now, did you ever think in your wildest dreams when you were in school getting your bachelor's and then on to get your master's that you would be doing this as opposed to actually practicing engineering? No, I didn't. Um, you know, I, I, I advanced pretty rapidly as a civil engineer myself, and – I just, you know, for me, I got to a point where I knew what it took to be successful as an engineer and I had done it at a young age and I could have continued to do it, but I just felt that there was a lot of people that I could help just if they knew those skill sets and how to develop them and it made me just want to flick the switch. But no, I mean, I, I had no idea <laughs> when I was in school coming out that this was going to happen. Oh man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're certainly glad that you... You took this this right turn and and uh, developed 
those skill sets and now have a taken what you've learned and applied it so that others can can learn from it. And so we certainly appreciate you doing that. Uh, I did have a couple of other questions since it came, it kind of came up. I would love to learn a little bit more about this this children's book series with uh, with your daughter. And certainly we want to link to that in our show notes, because uh, if people want to check out Perpy and the Purple Dragon, um, how did that come about? So my daughter, who's 11 now, I guess a couple of years ago when she was eight, you know, she was kind of like she liked drawing and she liked writing a bit. And my kids at the time had three kids, you know, obviously all, all young. They were all under eight. And I used to tell them stories. And one time I made up this story about this purple dragon named Perpy. I don't even know how I came <laughs> up with it. And it was like one night after the next it was a different story. And they just they loved it. Right. So I told my daughter, you know, why don't we write, you know, write a book about it. And right. then. Unfortunately, at the time, there was a young boy in our town who passed away from cancer. Oh, man. And so we thought maybe we could make do something with the book. So we there was an organization that his family had teamed up with that would bring like things to hospitals for kids. And so we hooked up with that organization. We did a Kickstarter campaign. We raised a bunch of money to have about 5,000 copies of the books produced. Wow. And then we, through this organization, we delivered them to hospitals. I mean, I went from Maine to Los Angeles Children's Hospital. Wow. Um, and I've developed them. In fact, I, I still do. A, about a month or two ago, I went to the Hackensack University Medical Center here with a couple of my buddies who are firemen who have a similar organization. And we did a we did a visit together and we brought books and stuff. So, so and, and we also go to schools now and just inspire kids to kind of like write. And since that's something that I like to do, so it's kind of taken on a little bit of a life of its own because, <laughs> I, I mean, the kids really like the stories, yeah. um, but it was really meant to be something for my kids in the beginning as like a learning thing for them, mm -hmm. get them to do something nice and get them to write and be creative. And uh, it seems to be living on. So. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, certainly your, your daughter will have something to talk about as she gets older that she and her dad uh, wrote a book together. And uh, I certainly applaud you for, for the efforts and the money that you raised um, even though that wasn't the original intent, it, it ultimately ended up helping out other people, which I think is a great thing. So um, congratulations on that. Well, I, I, I did I did want my audience to learn a little bit more about you. So we've learned about just about your background a little bit about this, this, uh, the authorship and, and the fact that you like to write. So I do I do want the audience to find out a little bit more about um, some of the other things that you like to do. Why don't you just tell us real quickly what what is what was the last book that you read that you really enjoyed? So the last book that I read was oh, that's a that's a good question since I read like three books a week um, <laughs> like me. between Audible and yeah. online. Um, you know, I read a book recently called uh, Profit First. Okay, which was a really good book. The guy's name is Mike Michalowicz, the author. He's written a couple of books. It talks about how companies should consider their profit first because it's always the last thing in terms of general accounting standards. You go like you got your top line revenue, then you take out your expenses. And if there's anything left, maybe you can pay the owners. Right, right, right. <laughs> and his philosophy is to go in reverse and set it up. So you're taking your profit first and he has a whole process. It was really interesting. In fact, we're looking at implementing it because um, it was very powerful. But basically, I've been reading a little bit more lately about um, – the financial side of, of running a business because, you know, when I started out, I was really focused on the coaching and developmental side mm -hmm. on how to get the most out of people, how to really help people learn. 
And now that that's worked and we're, you know, we're building this company, I've started focusing a little bit more on the financial health of the organization and how to build it in that regards. So. Okay. Oh, that's very cool. So, so, all right. So we got your books to so tell me what was the last movie you saw? The last movie that I saw, good question. I don't watch a lot of TV or movies, but we did watch one with the kids recently um, called Leap, which I think is a Disney movie, which okay. was, you know, it was fun. It was inspirational. And I also recently watched the Thor. My son's a huge Avengers okay, fan. Okay, yeah. So we yeah. went to see Thor, which I loved because I also grew up reading it, comic books and, you know. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's cool. Are you So are you going to take him to see um, the Infinity Wars or is he too young for oh, that? Oh, yeah. Oh, you no, are? No, we're going okay. to take him to that in May. We actually you already got still your have to see Black Panther. Oh, which we yeah. You haven't seen that. So like you're, no. like you're like you and him are like the only two people in the U.S. that haven't seen it yet. So, yeah, we yeah. got to go. It just, got, it just recently got upended. It was the number one. It, it actually broke every record for Marvel Universe in terms of the best selling, which is amazing. And then you think to have that happen. And then now they have Infinity Wars coming out, which uh, it should be interesting to see what happens. So, yeah, yeah, excited I, about I, I it. Hope, I hope you guys enjoy that. And then, lastly, how about your last vacation? Where did you go? How, how does the engineering career coach spend his time relaxing? <laughs> I don't do a lot of relaxing, but let me see. Let's think back. Um, the last vacation I took, geez, I don't even know if I can remember. We did get to go to um, actually in February. We went to Disney. Oh, nice. for the first. For the first time, I um, had a speaking engagement in Orlando, so I worked it out and I brought the family um, for three or four days and we did uh, Disney. The kids hadn't been there before. It was their first time. Um, so that was a real blast and they had a lot of fun. And then I also, myself, went on a trip to Mount Rushmore. Oh, nice. South Dakota. South Dakota. Yes. Um, a good friend of mine, actually, believe it or not, his grandfather was the chief carver of Mount Rushmore. Wow. And he was just officially named that. They hadn't given him the credit for 20 years. It was actually on CBS 60 Minutes. Really? And there was a, they put a plaque and there was a whole ceremony at the mountain. So I actually went with him and I actually interviewed some people from the mountain and did a civil engineering podcast episode on the construction of Mount Rushmore and stuff that went into it. Really? And that oh, was that, really cool experience. That's amazing. Is that, is, that, is that episode already out? Yeah, that episode is already out. If you go to the Civil Engineering Podcast, just search for Rushmore. Okay, you'll I'm find gonna, it. I'll, but I I'll actually put a link interviewed, to I interviewed one of the park rangers to talk all about the construction of it, which was really interesting. And then I interviewed this gentleman at the end who talked a little bit about what he could remember of his his grandfather working on it. Okay, okay. Yeah. That sounds cool. That must be interesting. <laughs> I'll have to check out that. I must have missed that 60 Minutes episode. I'm a big 60 Minutes fan, but I'll have to I'll have to go back and take a look at that one. So. I think it was the weekend of the, the hot firm. That's probably why you missed it. That Yeah, there you go. I was preoccupied, <laughs> so... Man, well, listen, I, I really appreciate you 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 taking the time and 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 for for the for our audience that would love to connect with you, what's the what's the best way to reach out and and, and touch you and talk to you? Sure, I mean LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, Anthony Fasano. I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Okay. You can also just go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and okay. contact form and find us but i'm all over the place online so it's okay. easy to find me all right perfect yeah we'll put we'll put a, again a link to that in the show notes we'll link to everything in our show notes so that's what the show notes are for so uh we'll do that but anthony thank you so much man i'm glad we finally got this on the books you're a hard man to catch up with but this was more than well worth it and uh, i i do believe that our listening audience uh will have benefited from your wisdom and knowledge and uh we just keep doing what you're doing man we really really appreciate the difference that you're making in the industry 
Thanks, Randy. And thanks so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks, thank you again for listening to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I want to, um, so, so excited to have our guest, Anthony Fasano, on, on this episode. And, and also, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we've got a special gift for you today. And, and that gift is simply uh, the Zweig Letter. Uh, that's the namesake of this particular podcast. And we are giving away to each and every person that would like a copy um, a free year-long digital subscription to the Zweig Letter. All you have to do is visit zweiggroup.com. And right at the top of the masthead there, you can click on the Zweig Letter uh, link and, and you can add, put your email address in and we will sign you up for the Zweig Letter um, e- newsletter. You'll receive it every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. And uh, you'll thank me for, for that. It's a gift that keeps on giving. I also want to let you know about a new program that we're offering, which is online learning through Z Learning. Um, you can reach that at zweiggroup.com forward slash Z Learning. And Z Learning is our new online continuing education program where we've basically taken some of the best programs that Zwei Group has offered in person, and we've created customized and brand new one-hour trainings. We just r- rolled out the first uh, episode uh, that we did, which is um, uh, 15 Things to Make You a More Effective Project Manager. That is available and live on our website now. Uh, you can order that. It's $99 um, for a CEU, and um, you also take a quiz, and it's certif- we're certified and uh, approved through AIA, SHRM, uh, ASCE and several other uh, design organizations. So uh, if you need some continuing education credits, Z Learning is your option. Uh, we've got several new trainings that are coming out in the next month or so, uh, including 10 things that will actually make you a better seller, writing better text, emails, and letters, and finally, how you can be more successful through creating better presentations. All of these are available at Z Learning uh, on the Zweig uh, Group website, zweiggroup.com forward slash Z Learning to find out more information. Uh, we, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to listen to this podcast, whether you're on a treadmill, on a train, in your car, on a plane. We appreciate you putting us between your ears, and we hope that this podcast makes a difference in everything that you do, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and remember, we exist to make you more successful here at Zwei Group. Thanks so much, and have a wonderful day. Thanks for tuning in to this Zweig Letter podcast episode. If you want more wisdom and inspiration, in addition to information about M&A, strategic planning, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe now to the digital version of the Zweig Letter free of charge. Just visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe and leave your email address. Your free subscription will begin immediately.